0: Today's scripture reading comes from John 19, verses 28 to 30, and then Luke 23, verses 44 to 49. Uh, John 19. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, and said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now from Luke 23. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, breathed his last. Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, "Certainly this man was innocent." And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Hey, new hope. Thank you for reading, Carolyn. Father, hear the prayers of your people as we cry out to you in the name of Jesus, your son. You have told us that in his name we have full access to your throne and we can bring concerns, whether personal or global, whether, whether trivial or, or, or huge, Lord. We can bring them all to you. And, and so we're doing that this morning, not knowing even exactly what to say or what to ask for. Father, we desire peace. And we ask that you would grant that. We desire comfort for brothers and sisters suffering in Egypt. For men, women, and children suffering loss and pain and homelessness and and fear in Syria. We ask that you would bring a, a squashing to the war that seems to be running rampant. We pray that you would put an end to unjust leaders and their selfish violent acts towards their own people in many cases but lord we know that even as you bring even even if those people see peace even for a short time we know that 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 it's, we know it's short lived we know that leaders sign treaties and leaders stop wars but then they only begin again so we ask for the, for the lasting peace that only you can bring. We ask that you, Jesus Christ, would, would return and install your kingdom in such a way, so powerfully, that it would bring justice to reign from, from coast to coast. That righteousness would in fact reign. And that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what we desire, Lord. That you would reign supreme, and that you would dry every tear, and that you would erase every fear, that you topple every evil regime, and that you'd bring true peace. We ask that you would come quickly, Lord Jesus. And in the meantime, we ask that by your gospel and by the power of your spirit, you would bring salvation and comfort to those who are suffering. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the um, past three weeks, we've been listening to the final words that were spoken by Jesus Christ as he, as he died slowly on a cross. And in the first two weeks, we heard words of mercy and compassion from Jesus. And then in the, in the, in the last two weeks, we, we heard words of, or in the last week, I should say, we heard words of anguish from Christ. After hanging on the cross for up to six hours, he said, I thirst. And then he also exclaimed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And and more than physical pain, what we saw is that, that Jesus was forsaken by God. More than just being brutalized by men, he was condemned and cursed. He suffered God's wrath. And we see all this in the scriptures, and we're told about it, not so that we would be moved to pity Jesus, but so that we would be moved to worship Jesus. He doesn't need our pity, but we need to worship him. And here's why we need to worship him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it this way. It was for our sake that he made him, that is, God the Father made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Galatians 3.13 puts it this way, beautifully. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And Jesus Christ was hanged on a tree He became a curse for us. And then Isaiah 53 puts it this way this was written long before Jesus even arrived on the scene in human form. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Here's why we should worship this Christ, because each of these three passages that I read to you have one particular thing in common. They all tell us that Christ suffered for us. It was for our sake that he became sin. It was, he redeemed us. He became a curse for us. Whose transgressions did he bear? He bore our transgressions, our iniquities. He brought us peace. It's by his wounds that we are healed. And the we and the us is all of us who are trusting in Jesus. Or who will trust in him. For us. Jesus Christ lived perfectly. He lived the life that we were supposed to live, but we failed to. And continue to fail to live. And and then at at this point, he was dying the death that we deserve to die. In our place. For us. Today we're going to hear the last two statements from the cross. And and they are not words of agony, unlike the ones we saw last week. What we hear today are words of victory. Words of triumph. Because as Jesus Christ breathes his last breath, he is saying, It is finished. It is finished. Those are the words that we'll, we'll focus most on today. And really, it's just one word, as Jesus would have said it in the original, tetelestai, which means simply completed. Done. Accomplished. Perfected. It is finished. These are words that would have actually been used when when satisfaction had been made. When a bill had been paid, for instance. One would have written across that bill. Tetelestai. Paid in full. Stamped. With those words. It's one of the most important declarations, really, in all of the Bible. And, And here's the big idea that I want us all to walk away with today. One simple big idea. What Jesus finished, you don't need to add to, and you cannot add to. What Jesus finished... You don't need to add to, and you can't add to. And and here's why that matters, New Hope. Because central to the message of the Bible is this assurance, this this warning, that, that you have not lived up to God's expectations. It's throughout the Bible we're told this. God's basic requirements are simple in one sense. They are that we love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that we love others, everyone else, as we love ourselves. This is a basic requirement. Love God, love others. But we fail to do this. All of us have. In the book of Romans, it says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone. Everyone in this room. Everyone in the world. Everyone throughout history. With the exception of one man. The one who spoke these words. It is finished. We have all sinned. And, and that sin, it plays itself out in so many different ways. It plays itself out on the global scale, with systemic oppression, mass injustice, poisonous gas attacks that take the lives of hundreds. But it, it also takes it also manifests itself, sin does on the, on the personal level, with our pride selfishness, our lust, anger, we've all failed. And as a result of our failure to live up to God's righteous and good expectations of us, we face condemnation. We face the prospect, in fact, God says we are under condemnation apart from Christ, and we face the prospect of eternal separation from God. But Jesus did not fail, not even once, not even close. He lived the life that we should have lived and still nevertheless died the death that we deserve to die. He died and endured endured God's wrath as if he were a sinner so that for anyone and everyone who believes in him, and receives God's grace through him, you're forgiven. The debt is paid. It is finished. Think of it this way. Imagine this scenario. Through a series of very bad decisions, you've gotten yourself into deep, deep debt. Deep enough that you're overwhelmed with the sense that there's no way to get out from under this. The creditors are calling you. They're harassing you. They're coming after you. And and you're you're overwhelmed with the sense that I'm done for. I can't see myself getting out of this hole. And so there's hopelessness and there's fear. It's the kind of situation that's driven people to even take their own lives it's over, you think. But then you get an email from your attorney, or maybe it's from your accountant, and in this, some kind of miraculous act of compassion, your creditors have decided that they're not coming after their money. Instead, they themselves are willing to absorb the loss and forgive you of the debt completely. You are now off the hook. That's just a glimmer of the beauty of forgiveness in the gospel. But the gospel doesn't stop there. It doesn't end with forgiveness. Instead, imagine this. Your, Your creditors now decide that they'd like to help you out further. They've decided to deposit millions of dollars into your accounts. In fact, they've promised you access to their limitless funds. It's all at your disposal. How incredible is that? But but, but now we're getting just a little bit closer to the beauty of the gospel. Because as I read in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that... So that, not just so that we could have forgiveness, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, when we put our faith in Jesus, not only are we forgiven, but we receive His righteousness. He gives us His righteousness. That doesn't just mean we're no longer in the red. It doesn't just mean we broke even and we're starting from a blank slate again. No, it means that now... Now, we are wealthy. We're not just absolved and acquitted, but we're made righteous. His perfect record, Jesus Christ's perfect record of obedience and wisdom and goodness becomes yours. You are now rich with righteousness. All that is his, he says, is now yours. You see, at the essence of, of the Christian message, there's this truth. Rely on Jesus Christ's finished work. It's foundational to the Christian message, although so many traditions within Christendom have gotten it twisted. We tend to get it twisted all the time in our own head. But the basic message is this. It's about relying on Jesus Christ's finished work. Other religions, or our culture, Or our own hearts sometimes tell us a different message. They say, Do you you want acceptance? Get to work. Do you want to be forgiven? Get to work. Do you want peace of mind? Get to work. But it's only the gospel that comes and doesn't say get to work, it says it's finished, it's done. And, and But here's the problem. The problem is that that message is so counterintuitive. It's so incredible to us that we're constantly tempted to doubt it. E- even if you've believed it, even if you've staked all upon the finished work of Jesus, you still run the risk every day of living as if it's not true. You run the chance every day of living as if there's still something that needs to be done to pay this debt. There's still some lingering debt that needs to be paid. There's still something that you need to do in order to make up for your failings and for your sin. There's still something that you need to contribute because God's quite not completely happy with you yet. And, and, And if he's going to really accept you and he's going to really forgive you, then you better get to work. It's this kind of sneaking suspicion that sometimes we don't articulate it, but it's there. And the people closest to us might be even be able to see that we're thinking this way. Or maybe in moments of clarity, we realize that we're thinking this way. But it's a sneaking suspicion that, that the debt has not been fully paid, and that God, this eternal creditor in your mind, is going to come looking for more. And that kind of sneaking suspicion can lead us in one of two ways. Either you end up living with insecurity and doubt, because you're not sure that God has accepted you based on Jesus Christ's righteousness and Jesus Christ's work. You live with doubt and insecurity. It leads to this kind of uh, uh, um, introspective obsessiveness. We can't stop looking internally. We can't stop looking at our sins and, and wondering, does God really accept me?" Have I done enough to repent? Have I I done enough to to, to get rid of sin in my life? It can lead to despondency, depression, or or on the other hand, this sort of thinking can lead us in another direction. It could lead us to living with this kind of pride and self-righteousness because we believe that we are actually adding to the finished work of Christ. This sense that you know what? I'm actually doing pretty well. Jesus Christ's death is good and inf- I'm glad he died for me, but man, I've been living in such a way that God can't help but accept me. My moral goodness makes me acceptable to God, or more acceptable to God. It's something of how the Pharisees in Jesus' day seem to live stacking up their accomplishments. Their obedience to laws, some of them God's laws, some of them fabricated laws. Stacking up their obedience and saying, look, Lord, accept me based on what I have done. Rather than accept me based on what Christ has done. You see, so we can if we, we, we think this way and we reject the idea that, that, that our acceptance with God is fully based on Christ's finished work, we either, we either head towards insecurity and doubt and, and, and despondency. Or we head in this other direction of pride and self-righteousness. For some of us, we swing back and forth, depending on the day of the week. Both, both of these are based in self-reliance, though, aren't they? That's why it's so important for us to hear this again and again. what Jesus finished, you don't need to add to and you can't add to. Let's push a little deeper into what jesus finished on the cross let's look at a bit a little bit closer at what he means when he says it is finished and really we're just going to scratch the surface we've seen already as i've just said that, that that for all who believe and trust in jesus christ the debt of your sin was paid that debt is finished and you are given the righteousness of christ but but let's look at it from some different angles too Let's try to get a more full-orbed vision of what Jesus meant when he said, it's finished. There's much, much more, and we're not going to see it all, of course. Not even close. But let's try to scratch a little bit further. Here's another thing that was finished at the cross. Jesus' purpose in life was finished. It was accomplished. He finished what he was sent to do, is what I mean. You know, before time began, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, together determined that the Son would come and be the Savior of the world. That he would save by dying. That he would reconcile people to God by himself being rejected and experiencing wrath. So you read throughout the Old Testament and you see hints at this. Prophecies that tell us that the Son will one day come. And when he comes, he's coming to save from sin, And then even as we start to read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, we, we see this message getting a little clearer, getting louder. There's an angel that comes to speak to, to, to Joseph to, and says of Mary, this woman, this virgin, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And listen to what this angel says. Why is his name going to be Jesus? For he will save the, his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. Jesus from childhood would have read the Old Testament and memorized many of these words that prophesy about his coming. He would have read them and memorized them. He would have grown up memorizing Isaiah 53. Which tells us that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the sins, the iniquities of us all. And Jesus would have grown up with an awareness that I have been sent for this purpose. Later on, as an adult, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, sees him and says before a crowd, Behold, he says this of Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus doesn't say, what are you talking about? He was aware, yes, that is who I am. I am the Lamb of God. I'm on a mission to take away sin. And then at least 11 times throughout the Gospels, Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to die. He keeps telling them over and over again. They don't want to hear it. Sometimes they reject it. Sometimes it seems like they don't even know what he's talking about. But he keeps saying it. And then at the very last week of his life, he says it at least six times. So so that even on Palm Sunday, as he's riding into Jerusalem, he was on a clear mission. He says in Matthew, the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. I am going to die, and I'm going to die for sin. Here's the point. Jesus Christ came to do something, and he did it. More than that, Jesus Christ knew what he came to do, and he did it. All of it. How how often do you end the day worrying about all you didn't get done that day. Do you ever feel that way? <laughs> Thanks, me too, at least two of us. And, do, you, do you ever sit in bed wondering, like, I had a list, and I barely put a dent in it. But I got the rest of the week, I'll keep working. And then you get to Friday, and you look at your list, and you're like, wow. Wow. I think it's actually grown over the course of this week. It hasn't gotten smaller. It's gotten longer. And and that robs us of of, of sleep sometimes. Do you ever feel afraid to rest? Because you feel like if I really take time off to rest, who knows what's going to happen? My to-do list is just going to grow exponentially. The wheels are going to fall off this thing completely. My family is going to be in disarray. My colleagues... Aren't gonna respect me. Things at work are gonna go off the rails. If I rest, everything goes downhill. So we go crazy to keep working. But we never feel like we can complete every task that we have to do. I don't know about you, but I find that even when I've planned vacations, I find that the last couple of days leading up to the, that vacation day, the last day, few days before you get in the car and drive off, pack your bags, get in a plane and fly off those last couple of days are absolutely crazy. Not just busy. For me, they are anxiety-ridden. Because I start to realize that not only did I know I had a lot to get done before I got on this plane, but now I realize that there was more to do that I didn't even realize before. More than once, I have gotten to the point where I have almost said to my wife over the years, you know, maybe we need to reschedule this whole trip. What is that? That's anxiety saying, like, don't rest. You can't rest. You haven't worked enough. The only thing that keeps me from doing that is I think my wife would kill me or go nuts if I said something like that. (laughs) Thankfully. The Lord uses her to bring me to my senses to see, no, wait a second. You're never going to get done with all the work you have to do. None of us ever will. We leave work undone all the time. How many of you, when you've left one position to find a new position, have left your replacement with really nothing to do? He just shows up and he's like, wow, this person did such an awesome job. Everything's perfectly tidy. Everything's just where it should be. No, you leave and you kind of dump everything on the next guy. And you're like, hey, I hope they train you and I hope you're ready for this, but I'm out of here. There's always work to be done. Jesus Christ, as he hangs on the cross says to the Father, not only it is finished, but he says, into your hands I deliver my spirit. What is he saying? It's not the words of surrender. Those are the words of rest. I offer my spirit. I give up myself to you, Father, after having completed the mission fully. You know what it's like maybe to finish a job and stand back and look at it. And enjoy something of of the completion. Maybe we don't get to enjoy that too often. In these words, Jesus Christ is calling us to rest in all that he's done. He's calling us to realize, I have left nothing unfinished. I've done it all. Rest in this. Who else can say that to us? You hire your contractor to work on your house, right? And they say, I'm going to be done by a certain date. Are they ever done by that date? If you're a contractor, I'm not judging you. I'm sure that there are many reasons for why this happens. But you've never ended on that date, right? And even when they tell you, yes, we're done, what do you do? You start looking around the house, right? You're like, are they really done? And you start finding things that were left unfinished. This wasn't painted. This wasn't spackled. This wasn't caulked. This doesn't look quite right. We're used to people saying, I'm done and not being done. My kids do this all the time. I say, Clean your room. They go and they clean their room. I said, Did you finish? Yes, we're done. I walk in there, they're not done. It looks like they barely started. Jesus is saying to us, Believe me, rest in this. Your eternal everything, everything depends. on on the fact that Jesus Christ did, in fact, finish what he said he would do. And your peace of mind and your rest depends on your ability to simply receive that. Believe it. And rest easy. Jesus finished the mission that he was sent to accomplish. Here's another thing that was finished at the cross. Here's another thing that was finished at the cross. The sacrificial system was finished. If you don't know what that means, here's kind of a thumbnail sketch of what that means. Throughout the Old Testament, we are told and we are shown that God had instituted a process by which his people, in order to, order to, to worship him and to live according to his will, had to be consistently, throughout the course of the year, offering sacrifices. Animals were killed, blood was spilled. It was a violent process. And it happened for centuries. And what many people didn't realize at that time, although some did, many people did not realize, is that all those sacrifices, all that blood spilling, all the, the, the nasty violence of it, was all meant to point ahead to something that was coming. It was meant to point ahead to this one final sacrifice that Jesus would perform here on the cross. I love the way Hebrews 10 puts it. I'm going to read this to you from verse 11. It says, And every priest stands daily at his service. Think about this. The priests were those who were called to make the sacrifices on behalf of the people. The author of Hebrews says, Every priest, he stands there daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. I love the language here. It it sounds like a treadmill. He's there every day offering the same sacrifices repeatedly. But here's the kicker. They can never take away sins. The sacrifices themselves had no power to really take away sins or make atonement for sin. But, but, verse 12, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Do you know what that means? That means he finished. You don't sit down till you're done. Till so the job is over. Then you sit down and you rest. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Because that one sacrifice accomplished what all of those thousands and thousands and thousands of sacrifices could never accomplish. Jesus Christ, the one perfect priest who offers up the perfect sacrifice the Lamb of God, who is himself the sacrifice, offers up his own life. And then he sits down at the right hand of God, saying, it is finished. Waiting, verse 13, for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. And look at verse 14, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. For by a single offering, perfected for all time. That word perfected is the same word that Jesus used from the cross. It's just a form, different form, of that same word, tetelestai. He finished it, paid in full, accomplished, done for all time. You know, in the Jewish temple, there was a, a curtain that sat between the holy place and the most holy place. It, it, it separated these spaces and it was, it was 60 feet high. How tall do you think this ceiling is here? Anyone want to take a guess? I really don't know. I have, I have issues with, with space. Um, I, can't, I can't tell at all. 40 feet? We'll say 40 feet. All right? So we're adding another 20 feet on top. And it's also 30 feet wide. And this curtain, the only people who could go through this curtain, the only person who could go through that curtain was the high priest. Not just any priest, but the high priest. And even he could only go through once a year. That curtain would only open once a year for one guy to slide through so that he could go in on the Day of Atonement and offer up sacrifices. Do you know that Matthew 26, 51 tells us that at the moment when Jesus Christ died, that 60-foot curtain was torn in the middle from top to bottom, ripped apart. God loves using imagery. He loves painting pictures for us. And what is he telling us here? We don't need a separation here anymore. We don't need sacrifices anymore. The high priest is now out of a job because he's been replaced by a better high priest. The separation between people and God finished. Sacrifices finished at the cross. I want to give you one more thing that was finished at the cross. Satan is finished at the cross. One guy put it this way. The cross sounded the death knell of the devil's power. But get this, get this, to human appearances, it looked like the cross, it looked like the moment of his greatest triumph, but in reality, it was the hour of his ultimate defeat. Through faith in Jesus, you have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness. That's what Colossians 1.13 tells us, which some of us studied just recently in our discipleship groups. Your enemy, the devil, no longer has power over you if you are in Christ. He's a real enemy, no doubt, but he's a defeated enemy. That's why James 4, 7 says, resist him and what? He'll flee. There's there's a passage in the book of Exodus Where Moses and Aaron, God's people are under, uh, they're in slavery at this time. They're, They're under the oppressive hand of Pharaoh in Egypt. And there's a scene in Exodus 5 where Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and they're asking Pharaoh to give the people a break, some rest from their work so that they can go and worship God. You know what Pharaoh says to Moses and Aaron? He says, get back to your burdens. He says, get back to work. That's what Pharaoh said to God's people when they groaned under the subhuman evil of slavery. Listen to what one guy says. His name's Dr. Ray Ortland. He says, get back to your burdens is the devil's command. It's the whip that he uses to keep his slaves on the plantation. It's the kingdom of oppression that he is working overtime to build. And listen to this. It's what we used to accept. Because we we didn't know there was an alternative. But now that we have the gospel, we don't listen to it anymore. Because as Christians, we can come and we can say, No. Jesus told me, it's finished. He's taken the burden. And you're done. So what did Jesus finish? He accomplished his mission fully. Bought for us salvation. He he, he killed the sacrificial system. He put an end to Satan's power. And, like I said before, we're just scratching the surface. There's so much more. All of the prophets, all of the types, all of the shadows that we see in the Old Testament finished at the cross. The kingdom of heaven opened up for us, everything fulfilled and finished. Here's how I think that this should affect us. Some ways that I think this should affect us as as we walk out of here. If you're living your life, and sometimes you feel like you're on a treadmill, because you're working for the acceptance of peers, the acceptance of parents, if you're working for the acceptance and approval of yourself, then you know that that does feel like a treadmill, doesn't it? You, you never can quite live up to the expectations of others, can you? Maybe you can't even live up to your own expectations of yourself. So so that but, but even if you do start to get a bit of approval, you do start to feel like, I'm finally doing enough, I'm finally living up, I'm finally doing well enough, what happens? That sense of satisfaction, it, it, it's so fleeting, it's... it's It's unsatisfying. Because you weren't made to seek the approval of peers or parents or yourself. The gospel offers you much, much better than that. The gospel says that you were made for the approval of God. To be accepted by and loved by and to enjoy and worship Him. And the gospel says that you failed him. And yet, and yet, in Christ, in Christ, here's what is offered to you. The rest of knowing. The rest that comes from knowing that you are fully accepted because of what Jesus Christ has done. The finished work of Jesus accomplishes for you righteousness, forgiveness, abundant life. You know, some people have said, that if we really start to believe that that if our relationship with God forgiveness acceptance with him if it's all based on what Jesus Christ did and all we need to do is is lean on that rely on it trust in it then that's going to lead us to live very passive lives we're going to become very passive we're going to become lazy we're going to become careless about the way we live The Bible disagrees with that 100%. Because the Bible constantly connects the finished work of Jesus with, with a transformed life in everyone who believes in and relies on that finished work. Here's what I mean. First Peter 2 puts it this way. He himself, that is Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. You see, he died. He did all the work. We trusted it. And what happens when we trust? We find rest. And our lives are transformed. Our lives are transformed. You see, those who most deeply rely on the finished work of Jesus don't become passive, lazy people. The Apostle Paul didn't live like a passive, lazy person. And he's the one in the Bible who talks most often about relying on the finished work of Christ. He didn't live a lazy, passive life, careless about his sins, not at all. But he also, he also didn't live like an uptight, frightened, nervous, religious zealot who was always wondering, have I done enough? Have I done enough? Am I working hard enough? No. You see, relying on the finished work of Jesus won't make us passive, but it will make us rested. There's a difference, isn't there? because we follow Jesus, there is work to be done. There's no doubt. There's a work, if you want to call it that, of simply worshiping him. Worshiping him. Confessing and repenting of our sins. We do that on an ongoing basis. We need to be confessing our sin. Turning away from it. Jesus calls us to the work of telling others about this very news that I've been trying to share with you. Sharing this news of the gospel. We're commissioned and called to share that. So is there work to be done? Yeah, there's work. But what's the difference? You see, the difference is that he calls us to do it from, from an awareness that, that everything that's been done, everything necessary for our salvation has already been accomplished. So, so it's work from the place of security. It's work in response in worshipful gratitude to a God who has done everything necessary to forgive and accept us. We've got a place at the table in Christ. We've got a place in the family. And that's not changing ever. So now, now, as a member of this family, we get to, we get the privilege, the blessed opportunity to participate in what God is doing in this world. We get to live as He has called us to live. We get to reject the lies and turn away from sin with the power that His Spirit gives us. We get to do all that knowing that our efforts actually please God. We're not earning anything with Him. He actually takes delight in our efforts to obey Him. we know that even when we fail, even in our failings, he will not reject us. Why can God not reject us? Because Jesus said, it is finished. It is finished. I'll give you one other thing to think about practically in terms of all that we've been looking at. And I hope this encourages you. Because Jesus finishes what he started, we can trust him with our future. You see, in the same way that he entrusted his spirit to God, we can entrust ourselves. We can entrust the whole world to him. We can entrust him that he will bring peace. He will bring an end to war and sadness. He will. He has promised to. It's part of the bigger mission that Jesus is all about. but we can also trust him to bring transformation in our lives, to bring an end to suffering in our lives. We can trust him to fulfill all his promises for us. So so if you're in a place, here's just one practical example of how this works. If you are in a place right now where you are suffering, know this, that in a little while, you also will be able to say, it is finished. All suffering, all suffering, has an endpoint for you if you are in Christ, and the only reason that's true is because of what Jesus has done. In a little while, we're going to come to this table, and we're going to take uh, this bread and this cup, and we're going to enjoy communion together. And as we do that, I want I want you to just think about this one thing: um, When do you sit down to have supper? Ideally, it's when the work is done, isn't it? Ideally, it's when you've finished everything that needed to be done that day. You've come home, and you sit down, and you rest, and you eat. And I believe that that's something of what we're meant to see in this table as we come and we eat and we drink at communion. There's rest pictured here for us. As we come to the Lord's table, remember this. What Jesus finished, you don't need to add to. And you cannot add to it. We, we, we don't bring anything to this table. All of our unfinished to-do lists don't matter. We show up empty-handed, but we are invited, encouraged, called to come. And rest. I invite you to pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the work that you were willing to perform on our behalf. No one could have done it but you, no one would be willing to do it but you. But you are willing and you are able. Out of love for the Father and out of love for us as your people, you did it all. Help us. Help us by the power of your Spirit. Fill us with such a deep sense of security, a deep sense of trust that it has all been done, that everything necessary to bring us to you was accomplished there. And that when you said it was finished, there's no fine print. Give us the grace we need to believe that and to live in the light of it all our days. In Jesus' name, amen.